0: from step and connect this is the balance matters podcast a neurophysical therapist journey to make sense of balance i am erica demarch your host a physical therapist deeply passionate about teaching and training balance after many interesting clinical discussions with colleagues and mentors over the years i thought wow i need to share their expertise with others On this podcast, I interview leading minds in medicine, health, and wellness to give you up-to-date information on balance, new innovation, and translate the most current research into practical clinical examples that you could start implementing right away. This is the Balance Matters Podcast.
1: It is an honor to have Jacob Weiss here with us today. He is the founder of Hand-Eye Body Academy, a social enterprise with a mission to help people learn how to move better, focus better, and function better by teaching hand-eye coordination exercises that are creative, fun, and accessible for all abilities. Since graduating from Princeton University and completing his Ph.D. in Biomedical Informatics at Vanderbilt University, Dr. Weiss has developed and shared his interactive training programs with teachers, trainers, coaches, therapists, movement educators, and organizations around the world. So I'm very excited today. We get to have Dr. Jacob Weiss um, join us, and let's start right away. And can you tell us, um, Jacob, what is your, how your background, you have a definitely a unique background that we just heard. Um, How did your background help you start Hand-Eye Body Academy?
2: Sure. Well, yeah, I'm excited to to be part of the podcast. And I can share a little bit where it came from. It's a a mix of all of my different experiences. So first of all, I learned to juggle when I was 10 years old. And that's been a part of my life since then, starting as a hobby. uh, And then as I went to college uh, and then even grad school, started up shows and juggling in everything on campus. Uh, and then my research work, uh, my PhD work, is in biomedical informatics. And my focus is really on sharing information online, collaborative, uh, building the collaborations among nonprofits and local communities. So for example, you might have a social worker who learns about one new resource available uh, and then this other social worker doesn't know it exists yet. And then someone changes positions. How do you really share that information online and create uh, that access to resources, especially supportive care uh, resources? So the combination of the juggling, uh, and actually before the juggling, I was doing basketball, uh, ball handling drills a lot uh, growing up. So all of that movement and fun creativity side mixed with my research of sharing health and wellness resources online. And so both of them come together uh, in approaching the exercises around hand-eye coordination, making them fun, but also connecting them uh, to very functional movements and goals. And not just the, the goals themselves, but how can the a lot of what I think about is how can these exercises connect different audiences different professionals for example someone who works with parkinson's and someone who works at a montessori school and someone who coaches hockey all may be doing the same exercises and so they can really be a way to to share that knowledge and information and learning across disciplines that's part of a a bigger vision as well but it really comes from that combination of the fun and the juggling and the movement with my thinking about collaboration and sharing health resources
1: so can you explain a little bit then like what is the hand-eye body academy like what um you know you brought the juggling and the um, ball handling um aspect to it um a lot of high um uh, hand-eye coordination exercises that you need for that but what is it you know the platform do people use it online um how do you access it um can you explain that?
2: I have online resources, uh, training videos. A lot of it's really uh, emphasizing train the trainer. So uh, part of my approach is is sharing different styles of variations on exercises. People might know throwing and catching a tennis ball can be a great hand-eye coordination exercise or crossing the midline or dual tasking, but you don't always learn, okay, how do you get creative with it? to make it fun, to make it engaging? How do you approach different ways of interacting between you and your students and clients or groups together and making everyone laugh and and have uh, fun with the exercise together? And so you you might know the research and and the practice of why it's important, but you don't know all the ways to, to modify it and make it a little harder, make it a little easier, add something to make it novel and keep it changing. And so that's really a lot of my approach is helping, especially professionals who already are doing this work, find ways, build that confidence in being able to quickly change it up. Uh, a lot of times people will use the, the library of exercises. You know, if you're planning a, a class and you're even last minute, what should I do? Pull up a few exercises and you can always uh, make it something different and fun uh, so it, it's providing the extra resource uh, for it. And, and a lot of my approach is not saying, do this one exercise and it'll give you this specific result. It's really you as a professional teacher, coach, therapist, know your client, know your students, what their needs are, and what level they're at. And so from the Hanna Body Academy resources, you can pull from these tools, whether it's printed, Tools or videos of exercise ideas, and then you can say, okay, I'll take that idea and I'll modify it for this specific individual. So it's really providing that that creativity, that spark that then you can mesh with your own expertise. So for example, if you're working with someone with Parkinson's, that will be a different knowledge base that you're starting with than someone who is a basketball ball handling coach. So you may take one piece of the idea for one discipline and then someone else may apply it in a different way. And so it's it's really, uh, you can think of it almost like, I don't know if you know, like stems in music, where it's kind of fundamental building blocks. These are fundamental uh, building blocks you can pull from and combine in different ways to put together new exercises that are just the right fit and challenge for whoever you're working with.
1: I absolutely love that because the, you know, one thing that when I found you originally on Instagram and just sharing of just your creativity of different exercises. So my background, as some people know, I was a vestibular therapist at a clinic Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just thinking, and I work with people with Parkinson's um, also, but I would treat, use those exercises very differently. So like, um, a few of them that I loved um, and I'll share everything um, online again um, that we um, discussed today, but the, um, I have a daughter that plays basketball. So I was even showing her um, prior to this, the one that you have the ball that it just keeps moving like in circles, like you kind of, and she, it looks so easy, but when you start going faster, it's hard. But having that turning would be for somebody has a vestibular to be able to look at that. If there was letters on the ball while it's turning, while they're moving it, um doing um an exercise like that um would be different for the vestibular system of activating the visual system or i love the other one that you do with the ball i'm going to keep it with the basketball for a moment when you did like the different um angles so that would be two different things that how you're for me as a therapist one i'm having smooth pursuits watching it versus Mm -hmm. trying to catch different balls my eyes are jumping for saccades as it turns so Mm-hmm. I was really thinking of what that client, but a lot more creativity versus me just saying follow your finger, <laughs> you know. Um, so. Yeah, and and that's the
2: idea. It, it, it's, right, instead of it just follow the finger, then you make it fun, you make it uh, a little different, and it, you can keep changing it. Right, one day you might do one style of exercise, and then another day you do a different one, but each of them you had still had that specific goal, whether it was. Tracking, uh, the cods moving back and forth, whatever it is, yeah. uh, or, or balance, right? You can have the functional goals and part of what my approach is, is really starting from what are the different types of functional goals that people may be working with their students and clients and say, okay, starting from that concept, what different ways can we make it different, creative, fun, and, and so it's, instead of it just being, uh, completely just random movement, it all is informed by that existing best practices, uh, and approach. And so, uh, so it's like with, with vestibular and with balance, you may be able to take, I think it's a lot of it is exercises can combine, right? It might combine balance, uh, uh, smooth pursuit, Uh, It might have something where you're crossing the midline. So that's all, and, and three other things, right? So because it combines all those different elements, someone who's trying to really focus on smooth pursuit can do that, but also they get these side benefits and exercises. And someone else who's trying to come up with some exercises to use with clients crossing midline can use the same exercise, right? So because they combine different elements, I think that is part of what helps it work for different audiences.
1: Yeah. And I love, you know, just the audience that's listening for, you know, one thing that I stress for um, specializing in balance is a lot of the neurological population or as we age, we over rely on our visual system for balance. So, you know, one of my mentors, like, you know, we said that we like, we're glued with our eyes or we're balancing with our eyes. So like we, if we stare at that point, we're good as once our eyes move, but to have somebody move their eyes, then they start being fearful for falling or they don't want to, but if you give them something fun to do, they don't even realize they are moving their eyes. So just tons of ways to get their eyes moving while they're trying to do a balance task, I think is super important. Yeah,
2: And even with your eyes closed, right? A lot of the exercises that you're passing the ball in different, pattern from hand to hand you can do that with your eyes closed and so even if it started from the kind of hand eye coordination whether you're changing how you're looking or even your eyes closed it there's a lot that you can do that can make it just one little change how you're looking can make it feel very different
1: so actually i'm going to ask you something so that's an exercise i do a lot for eyes closed so almost all my clients have to do something eyes closed. They know that when they meet me. <laughs> so, but when you, they tighten everything up. So all their joints are tightening. So they're over-relying on their somatosensory system when they are trying to close their eyes, right? So they might not integrate their vestibular system well. Um, so I always use that analogy when, if you were like water skiing and everything tightened up, you're not actually going to have good balance. You're going to fall. You We want somebody adaptable, flexible. Um, mm-hmm. so sometimes balance isn't somebody has no sway at all. We want that um, flexible um, person. So I have them pass a ball hand to hand and it kind of just relaxes their upper body. And they mm-hmm. actually are so surprised how much better their balance is. What mm-hmm. other exercises I'm going to put you on the spot now would you do? So I just have them, I don't want them. So I use the ball two different ways. So one eyes closed, I, I want them to just be able to catch it. Right. Cause I yeah. want them to be relaxed versus if I'm trying to decrease the visual system, um, with their eyes open i want their eyes moving while they're catching the ball and trying to um, but so eyes closed what would be your exercise that you would do with the ball so, so there's a couple
2: one is you can think about when you pass the ball from hand to hand you're not worrying about throwing and catching so throwing and catching is going to be harder with your eyes closed than just passing from hand to hand but when you pass from hand to hand it, you don't just have to pass back and forth you can create different patterns so for example One of the exercises I teach, which is more of a figure eight infinity sign, uh, it's called in, out, pass. So you're swinging in, out, pass. In, out, pass. So each time there's three beats to that sequence. And what it is, is it's not just moving the ball into shape, but you're creating that sequence where you have, it's not hard, it's not super complicated, but you have to have a little bit more of the coordination, the timing, getting ready of when you're gonna make the pass and when you're gonna swing the ball. Uh, And just remembering that sequence, it becomes a little bit of a flow state. And so it's not just closing your eyes and doing the movement, but getting into that pattern that repeats. Uh, It it can be a very moving meditation uh, type feel. So you can create different uh, positions and how you pass the ball. Are you passing it around your back, around your head, uh, and that comes from my background in ball handling right yes. so, with basketball. so 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 you can think about you know and that's what I, a lot of what my approach is with hand I body academy. it's not just here's the exercise, but what it is is get you thinking, okay, yeah, I can pass the ball like this. Let me come up with other ways I can pass the ball or your students and clients give them the permission to come up with their own creative ways to pass the ball back and forth. and so, you can say, here's your constraint, your eyes are closed and you're passing the ball. Yeah. If you need to do it sitting down or if you're doing it standing, whatever level you're at, yeah. find ways to get creative with it. And so so you can come up with different ways to pass the ball. One of uh, the early exercises I developed that I really like for proprioception, just awareness of where your body is, is hold the ball. Well, here, here, here's the exercise, I'll describe it. If you're listening, you probably can understand, but definitely if you look on the video, close close your eyes and then hold the ball around eye level and move it around to just a, a random position in front of your face and then stop somewhere. Once you stop, try to align your other hand underneath the ball. Wherever you think the ball is lined up, line your other hand underneath. Your eyes are still closed. When you're ready, take a breath and then drop the ball and catch it, and then open your eyes.
1: Oh, I so, yeah. so
2: sometimes it'll bounce out of your hand, and you don't have it perfectly lined up. But what it is, it it's a really it's almost like a, a trust fall with yourself. Because when you do it for the first time, it surprises you. Like, how did I line up without even looking? And so, yeah. not only is that a good, uh, you can do it as an exercise around proprioception and coordination, uh, but you also can think of it. As almost a piece of an evaluation, so uh, most people are able to make that catch. If you're completely not lined up and not even close to making the catch, this isn't a a you know fully standardized evaluation method. But what it can be is a little test you can do, and if it if whatever you notice from that may lead you in directions of other standardized evalu- uh, evaluations to follow. So. So you can not only use the exercises as, as the exercises to build and improve, but you may notice something with your clients and how they're doing the exercises that gives you, uh, thoughts on, hey, maybe I should look in this direction for things I might test them on or, or help them with. Uh, so, so the, the drop and catch, uh, exercise is a really nice one for, for you to be able to see how they, they do. And also when you're doing it, can you get it? It's a way to say, hey, you were able to throw and catch a ball without your eyes open. So if you think you can't do any of these moves or you're not coordinated at all, you just prove yourself wrong. So it's a way to also build that confidence. And, and that confidence and growth mindset is also a big part of the approach of, of why to do these exercises, not just the, the brain-body connection.
1: Yeah, I love it because I'm already going to start using <laughs> and try that out this week. So, because I already, you know, think about and we've talked about this before of what you already do and then add on to that, right? So, yep. I already part of my test is I do um, I look to see the different sensory systems to see how much somebody's over relying or relying on a certain system. So, what mm-hmm. I do actually the figure eight already, but I do that following my finger and watch does their body follow the their eyes? Are yeah. they swaying with that or can they? move their eyes and their bodies still stay um, upright and still, but then to add that eyes closed to see what happens and then add the ball, I think is just a fun way to, um, you know, cause balance, not everybody wants to be tested or it's it's hard when it is hard. They f- get frustrated very easily. Mm-hmm. So how do you make it more fun? Um, and then you could probably change um, how close they are, right? To um, versus to um, bring their arms further apart. To you, can, you can do that, probably
2: head, reaching high to down yep. low Uh, And again, that's where you can build different variations or try to have your hands more close together. uh, So you can modify the basic concept to what you know about uh, your goals with your specific clients. And and what you just described about looking at where they're swaying when you do it, that's what I love is is that I'm not trying to be an expert in everything vestibular, in everything ice hockey, in everything uh, football, whatever it is, right? These are fundamental ideas that you can go in different directions. And so that's why I may not know exactly how to say you have to do this exercise and walk this way and this amount. You take that knowledge of what you're already doing and these exercises weave into all those practices already.
1: Yeah, but we need that creativity, right? Because our Mm -hmm. our clients, they want that fun part, right? We're not going to do things over and over again if it's boring. None of us are.
2: Um, it's both the fun and keeping it novel, right? And that's part of, from, from the, whether it's occupational therapy or specifically with Parkinson's it, or just anything, right? You, you want to keep it novel. And, and some of the, the research that has been done on juggling, right, where they show the juggling and increase, uh, in the increase in the gray matter and white matter, in the brain, a lot of what it, the article describes is it, it's the process of learning to juggle. It's not the juggling itself. It's the process of learning. And so if you can keep learning different ways to do it, or you get comfortable with one and change it up, that novelty is important, both for the brain and for keeping it fun, engaging, uh, building resilience, all of those things. And so, so I definitely, whether it's any specific goal, I recommend find ways to keep changing it so it's a little different and challenging, especially if someone's used to an exercise. So many exercise routines, it's like, okay, you do the same thing every day, and that can be good for certain aspects of what you're working on, but mix in other fun challenges that keep the overall uh, practice different uh, and growing each time.
1: Yeah. And I think the research is expanding on just looking at brain health, you know, not just looking at, you know, aerobic or cardiovascular. And that's a conversation I've been having with more preventative medicine doctors. I work with more um, just patients and clients that I work with is if you're already doing lunges, how do we add, uh, you know, lunges with more of a cognitive task that you're getting now everything, you know, you get more for um, that exercise. So I think Um, including that um, people don't even know that they can do that, you know? (laughs) So how do you start adding that creative part to it of just building on what people already are doing, um, but having that.
2: And and you can think about it, think about it in in almost like formula, right? So you can say, okay, I'm doing a body movement or a a lunge, a leg movement, or leg and body together. So what might I do differently with my hands? What can I do with my eyes? right so so what can i do with my cognitive brain (laughs) exercise so so you can take the different pieces so maybe you're doing something with your legs you say okay what can we do with our hands that changes things up so an example if you're doing a wall fit or a you're kind of in a squat position well if you're trying to hold that like on the wall for 30 seconds to a minute Instead yeah. of just sitting there thinking, This is hard, my legs are hurting and yes. you throw and catch a ball while you're doing that, not only does it add your eyes and the tracking and your hands and, and all that to me and and there definitely can be more research done on it, but but just it can distract you from the pain of exercise. With the juggling, yeah. uh, so I'm not a runner, but without Maybe I can do a 5K uh, and not super fast, but I can handle this. And and but it's not easy. And so for me, running while juggling, which is called juggling, (laughs) running while juggling is easier for me than just running. Now for me, I'm comfortable with the juggling and I'm used to that, Uh, so it's not distracting me. It's actually adding to that flow, and it becomes something that. I'm not focused on the the pain of the running, I'm just focused on the juggling and can I keep the pattern going and and so it becomes another uh, aspect of of the dynamic. And I'm sure there is more underlying uh, in, in how that works but but I see that in practice, and definitely I think more uh, work and research can be done to really understand why but it, but yeah you can There's so many different reasons and benefits that you can try to stack in different combinations to existing exercises.
1: So that actually brings up two things that I'd like to discuss. One is that framework when you don't know where to start, like when you're already doing, say, a squat that you were just talking about, Mm -hmm. um, thinking, you know, are you adding the eyes? Are you adding head motions? Are you adding arm motions, ball toss? It reminds me, actually, my daughter just had a sleepover last night and they had a a dance game, and they actually had to spin, like if it was arm, leg, head, and then they had to find these two funny words together, and whoever had yeah. the best dance. But you had to do the arms or do the head, like so you can make mm-hmm. it more fun um, or make it more goal oriented with your client. You know, yeah. so,
2: so a lot of, for example, occupational therapists will find toys, especially for younger kids, yeah. find toys at the store or games. And use them in the practice because there's a lot of aspects of coordination, of color matching, of whatever it is, uh, yes. in, built into a lot of games. And so, so it can go both ways. You can you can take elements from those games, and they'll be not too different. You get might get ideas from them to weave into your exercises, uh, yes. and then you can make your the other way. You can take your exercises and make them games between. Uh, people, because all of these exercises—the throwing, catching, the passing—that you can do by yourself, you can also do it as a with partners or as a group, right? So if you're saying, "How many creative ways can you pass the ball?" Well, one of the the group exercises I'll do is say, "Okay, get into a group, and each person come up with a different way to pass the ball from hand to hand, and then you teach it to everyone else in the group." And then together, you have to make a sequence that goes and, you know, whatever the different ways you're doing, oh, and I love put it. it all together. And so it's got a memory component, it's got that team building, that social health component, uh, and it's got all of the benefits that you had from the movement with the ball. And so so you can take exercises and make it more of a game, especially uh, for groups. So it it's not, yeah, it's, that's, the, that's the thing. It's not that you have to get overly complicated and serious with it, even if there are serious benefits to to the movement, but always be thinking about the, that play aspect of whether it's by yourself or with a group.
0: Yeah.
1: I love that you added the group part. Cause I think there is so many more wellness in group classes. And that's something that people reach out to me is like, I want some more creative ideas of what to do with my group, you know, and, but also not just throwing random exercises, having it um, for that population of what you're doing and how that's going to help them. Because I know my clients always tell me, Erica, we love that you actually will explain what this exercise is doing versus just throwing, you know, so each exercise has a reason. So exactly Mm -hmm. what you said is, this is going to number one, help your memory, because you have to memorize the sequence Two, this is going to help, you know, your hand-eye coordinate. You, you can talk about all the different parts of it and then give them the exercise. So they have a little bit more saliency for that. So I think that's really important.
2: And and one thing that that you can start to understand is, is the type of, of structures in the exercises. So think about like with a group exercise. Are you having a group exercise where they're all sharing together? Or are you... Teaching from the front of the room and everyone in the group is following you, or are they at different stations in small groups where they're doing the same exercise but side by side in in parallel? Uh, so, you know, even like parallel play as as a way for you know kids learning yeah. uh, or you really collaborating in your play, you can apply those structures to thinking about how you're doing the exercise. So it's not just like you said it's not just random there are different categories of structures and once you start understanding them it's the, that framework and the structure not the specific drill that gives you that confidence to be able to start to make variations on it but it's practicing each different type of drill so a lot of my approach is it's not that just some Fun movement with the ball is going to help everything. But if you do this type of movement, and then you do that type of movement, and then you do this other type of movement, all together, you're building a well rounded, uh, uh, you know, connections in your brain that, that experience to move in different ways, to be used to different things. Uh, so, for example, if you start adding in walking or stepping in place while you're doing the movement, then then next time you're you're you know trying to grab onto the railing with your hand while you're also walking, right? You have some. It's not the exact same as what you did with the ball, but the more the more variety you create with the fun exercises, the more it fills in all the different real world uh, situations you may be. No, oh,
1: that would be a great example to talk to. You know, I'm just thinking my rehab brain kind of um, goes there. Is you know, I actually have that conversation of what kind of equilibrium strategies do you use? So, a lot of what I, how I document or talk to my clients is, you know, your first line of defense is either a startle response or a protective response. Then we need to work. You know, if they just do this, you know, um, or just reach out, they always are just reaching out to something and they don't have a hip strategy or stepping strategy. Mm-hmm. This is a great way that to use the ball, maybe including hip work um, or stepping yeah. strategies, stepping to different targets. There's ways to get that in there um, so that they're taking away that. So that would be a great example of how you can use, yeah. you know, both. Um, but no, I love it. I'm, I'm thinking of so many ideas as we chat. <laughs> and,
2: and, and again, it, it, and I love hearing what you're describing because every time I, I work with someone, I'll learn something new about their strategies and their specific work, which again, kind of being, that's where I view this as, as being a hub because it might be someone who's, uh, like I described, maybe, uh, a tennis coach, they might be able to learn from some of the approaches of, of someone who works with more vestibular therapy. It, right. it, 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 yes, you, you need to understand the different context, but it may spark an idea. And so this becomes kind of a bridge between the different disciplines because of that. Uh, just you, you can take something and then, and then it sparks those ideas. Uh, with all the other ideas that you have bouncing around in your head.
1: No, I love it. So two things I want to make sure I I ask you. One is you really you know from your um, work you know outside of doing some of the hand I do a lot of community building and um, looking at that so what tips then would you have like you started already giving some tips of in a group setting what you would do Um, but I think that you know I think I teach a class with people at Parkinson's so you know to have that community built so two questions on it live versus virtual right so my class Mm -hmm. still wanted to be virtual and i find as a clinician you know we were live for before and they were like we actually exercise more now so can you keep it this way so we don't have to travel they don't have to have their spouses drive them but i i have a find as a challenge you know you have all these little squares you know in your zoom how do you still get that community virtually versus, you know, I felt it was more live, you know, but they're getting more exercise. So there's that benefit. But yeah, so first right. what would you do to, to build that virtually? Um and Oh, so, go ahead. And then how would you do it also live? You know, like um if there's any tips just for clinicians that are doing those group classes. Um, because I think you specialize in that that I don't think everyone realizes some of your other work that you do in that. So
2: Yeah. So so well. I think definitely live it's going to be easier to connect uh and have that energy than than virtual but at the same time there are things you can do with virtual platforms without getting too complicated with them uh that can add to that the one thing i like to uh think about is is when everyone's in the on zoom together and you're teaching and, and you know, they might only have you as the big screen, they're not seeing everyone else, but you can use the breakout room functions on Zoom. So even if you have six people, you don't have to have a huge group, you can break it up into groups of three and three. And the breakout rooms let each group come up with their own uh, things within that group. So for example, like with the ball passing, I can have even virtually people share their ideas of, okay, let's do this first and then let's pass it behind their head. and and you can have different breakout groups creating together. So especially when you think about the, the power of giving that that uh, authority to be creative to your students, not just to follow the exercises. And again, do it in a way where you guide them to what rules there are and be safe with it and, 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 and help guide them. But you can give, have breakout rooms where they can be creative in small groups. So that's one way. Uh, to think about adding in a little bit more of that dynamic virtually, yeah. and then in person again, you can have those small groups. A lot of people will use some of my exercises, or especially the coordination chart work, and via just even without a, 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 a leader there, you can have a chart on the wall with exercises written, and you give them the overview of what to do. But then each group can go through the stations and do different charts at around the room uh, on their own. So you can. Use that kind of small group setting in the stations uh, concept. Uh, but then again, if you're even if it's not an exercise setting, uh, even if you're you're taking a break at a meeting, right? You can you can break up into small groups, uh, do an exercise together, and then some of the exercises I have are a little bit more of the gamification. So it's more of a challenge, right? Of having a cup and a ball, and you have to catch the correct color. Ball in the matching color cup, so you can you can add that gamification or make it. For example, uh, when you think about more of the playful competition, you can do a lot of these exercises as a relay race. Uh, so you might have two teams and they're having to walk while you know passing the ball around their body, uh, and then when they come back, they hand the ball off, and so it's just that relay race structure. Uh, another one. That I like is taking Simon Says and doing that more with the exercises with the ball. So normally Simon Says you think of different body movements, but you can add in Simon Says throw the ball and catch it three times, pass the ball to the other hand. Oh, you're out, right? So uh, or you're not out, but but you have a nicer version of, of that. So so you can you can take a lot of just uh, games that you might have even played as a kid or in PE class and think, how might this work, adding a ball component to it. So there's a lot of ways that you can take these exercises, kind of like when I talked about it being a bridge. The the ball can become a bridge between the functional exercises and benefits and the games that you might play in, in different contexts.
1: No, And I, I definitely think the breakout rooms, you know, I'm an adjunct professor at the PT schools, and when they break out, they, they do talk more, they do, um, you know, it's a little easier to bring your idea instead of a, a big group. So I think that is a nice way to do that. Um, so can you show us maybe, I know this is a recording, so we'll um, definitely share this, we'll try to tuck it out, maybe some of your charts um, of how you can use that, especially how you were saying, I love the idea to have that, even virtually using it, you know, I use some other apps, um, you know, like the clock yourself and things like that um, virtually that people do like. Um, but you can also use it in the class setting. Um, and then, if you could show a little bit of, you know, as therapists, I know the creativity we want to know also for the lower extremity. What we can do, um, the yeah. how can you use those charts in two different ways? So maybe just introduce a few of them. Um. Yeah. So this is uh the left right arrows chart and
2: so the idea of of having visual charts is not new and kind of like what I described with the exercises with throwing and catching a ball part of what I'm trying to add is here's different creative ways to make the charts a little bit different uh and and add a little bit more that you can stack together and combine in different ways uh and making it fun so with this chart it is a It's one, it's just left and right arrows. So, uh, I have different charts that may have different directions, but this is very specifically focused on just left or right. And because of that, it can be great for bilateral coordination and, you know, focusing on left and right, uh, uh, style movements. Uh, but then you have the colors as well. So it's not just the arrows, but it's the colors that you can use the colors to assign different rules. Uh, and so, I'll share one example of how i like to introduce this chart, Uh, and you can do this with a a group. The other thing that's nice about charts with a group is, as opposed to flashing a cue on the screen, which is another good way to to approach these kind of visual exercises, uh, when you do the chart, everyone can go at their own pace, so the charts are really nice when you have a group because So you don't have to be too slow for someone or too fast for someone. Everyone can go at their own pace. So let me see here. And I'll see if it's a little small here on my screen when I back up. Uh, Hopefully I can see it still. But what we're going to do is if you see an arrow to the right, so the arrow can point right or left, if you see an arrow to the right, you're going to raise your right hand up and down. If you see an arrow to the left, you can raise your, left hand up and down. So with that, you're gonna just be going right hand up, left hand up, left hand up, right hand up, left hand up, and then go to the next row and you can keep going with that. So you can read down the the chart, you can put on music and try to make everyone follow the tempo, right? So you can, or a metronome, right? You can add in uh, that auditory cue component and just getting on a nice rhythm. So the first step is just doing it with your hand. Then the next step is going to be looking at just the color. So first we looked at the arrow direction, not the color. Now we're going to look at just the color. So the color is going to be on this chart, yellow, blue, and green. So we'll set rules. So part of this, when you set rules to the colors, because colors are abstract, it's not describing a specific movement. So it adds another memory component when you have the colors Yes. In. So with the colors, we'll say when you see a green arrow, whichever direction, you're going to stand on your right foot. So let me just to demonstrate. I'll lift high. You don't have to do high knees. You can just slightly lean onto your right foot. But so right foot there, up and down. Then if you see a blue arrow, you're going to stand on your left foot. Right. So just a slight lift, or if you want to do high lifting, you're like that, that works too. And then for yellow, you're going to be on both feet and just stand tiptoe up and down. So green, stand on your right foot, blue, stand on your left foot, and yellow, tiptoe up and down with both feet. All right. So you can read through the chart. So if it's blue is, let's see, blue is left foot then green is right foot, yellow, uh, both feet tiptoe, and I'm exaggerating a little, you, you can yeah. keep them smaller or not, uh, and so on. So you read through the chart just with your feet. And then the next step is gonna be the arrow direction with your hands and the colors with your feet at the same time. That is so art. <laughs> one of the nice things, even like, like, like this, is you will hear people grow and say, oh, what? I can't do this, right? And so that groan is the inner voice saying, I can't do this, right? And so that's part of where it's a great way, not just for the movement, but for introducing and sparking that growth mindset. Because if they can feel themselves and hear themselves saying, I can't do this, and then they practice this for a few minutes, they start to figure it out, get a little more comfortable, you can connect that feeling. Uh, of going from I can't do this to wait, I'm doing it to other things. So that next time they're feeling like I can't do this, they can remember back to this experience. So it's it's a great way to build in that growth mindset. So let's see, giving it a try. So if it's a, let's see, if it's a blue arrow to the right, what would that be? So blue arrow on your left foot as you lift your right hand. So let <laughs> yeah. me, right? So you're on your left foot while you're, you're raising your right hand. Then green arrow to the left is going to be right foot, left hand. Uh, Yellow to the left is going to be both feet, but just your left hand. right. And then sometimes it gets mixed up. So if it's a green arrow to the right, now you've got right hand on your right foot. So sometimes you're doing right hand with your right foot. Sometimes you're doing right hand with your left foot. Sometimes you're doing both feet, but just one hand. So it'll get a little bit tricky, especially when you're first starting or if you try to go faster, you'll start to feel that, that, that disconnection you know, of, wait, wait, what am I doing? My eyes see it, but my brain hasn't figured how to tell my body, right? And as you keep going with that, you get a little more comfortable and then it starts to, to be where you can really move. So you feel that progression. And then from there, you can start adding in other challenges mixed in at the same time. You can add in a ball. So you're not just raising your hand. Maybe you're throwing and catching a ball with that side. So it, it, it's a way that you can have that fundamental dual tasking between the following the direction and following the color, your upper body, your lower body. And because it has that just the right amount of structure and just the right amount of flexibility, you can create all different Functional exercises using this chart.
1: Oh, I love it! And you could even just start sitting down. Like, there's so many um, yeah. ways that you can. Definitely. You know, yeah, so
2: yeah, um, do
1: that. Yeah. Um, no, I love it, and this is just a neat way. I think, like you said, just to add to your class, and you can start with just the arms or just with the legs, and then kind of build on it, um, which is a nice way to um, just show clients there's different ways to exercise.
2: And Oh, and like you are saying, you can do all of what I just demonstrated, sitting down. So there's no balance component, but you still have the coordination and following the visual cues uh, with your arms and your legs. And you could make it more advanced athletes. You could say maybe you could be doing uh, a box jump and jump up on one leg or or jump over a, a, a hurdle or to a spot on one leg where it's a much uh, more of an athletic agility movement so you've got a basic concept and what specific levels
1: of the the cnr movement can change yeah. for different abilities so i see whoever is listening two ways that you can even use this for pt students or ot students or any students that are working with clients and then also for um clinicians like when you have your in services sometimes we don't know what our clients are going through right there are some things that seem you know, we take for granted walking or doing, and now all of a sudden these obstacles, it looks like they have to climb a mountain to be able to do something. So to have that empathy of what they're going through, um, I know we do some classes, you know, smearing glasses, trying to have you to understand what it feels like to have a stroke or something like that. But to be able to see like, this is hard and that you're struggling, this is what some of our clients have to go through. And how do you overcome that? I think is a nice way to maybe start a meeting or something would be a, a fun oh. way incorporate it you know.
2: yeah yeah i think that's a, a great point and, and something that i i talk about and, and how i use the exercise n- not just this exercise but but with hand eye body exercises in general i'll bring them into not just you know pt ot and the movement world but i also will be doing uh, uh exercises for team building for corporate groups that have nothing to do with movement uh or teacher groups uh and and professional development for all different types of professions. And and you can not, it's not just about knowing how to help people move better. Like you said, it can be that not just the growth mindset for the students and clients, but for yourself and really building that empathy. So if I, I sometimes will describe a teacher can only fake growth mindset in doing simple arithmetic. If they've been doing it for you know 20 years and they're like, oh, I messed up this mask, let me erase it. You can only fake it. And and that doesn't, that that will come across. It's not as genuine. But if a, one, for yourself to have that empathy uh, for what someone is struggling with, where you might not be able to feel that if you've been doing what you do for a long time. Yeah. But then if you can introduce that new experience for yourself and just that reminder of, this is what it feels like for someone who's struggling with something I might be able to do with my eyes closed every day, just walking or picking something up. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you that feeling. It's not just like knowing, it's not about, cause when we do the exercises, when someone starts to get it, I, I say, did you feel that, right? It's that feeling that you really feel what they feel. Not exactly of course, but, but it helps you you tap in a little more to that feeling not just the concept of empathy uh and then it it becomes something that you can do together a lot of like uh for example PE teachers for elementary PE the kids love it when the PE teacher is trying the same move that they're trying and they're dropping and and can't quite get it and the students may even get it faster than the adults and so it just becomes a lot of fun and, and a bonding experience in that way so so yeah there's so much more than just the the brain and the body, it's, it's that social uh, and connection as well.
1: No, I think I'm gonna include it in my um, intergenerational program. I'm piling it again um, next uh, in a couple of months. So it is fun to see the kids and adults. And it is, a, everybody has that little bit of challenge, you know, like, let's see who can jump further. Let's see who could do this. So it is kind of fun to see um, both either the adult or the kid you know, it's, that game part is in us at all ages. So I think that is super fun for that. Um, so I think um, one other thing that I, you know, I'm trying to go back to when you were talking, sometimes I didn't want to miss some questions. Um, one last thing I want to discuss maybe is a little bit about the rhythm and timing. Um, that's something I look at a lot with um, looking at auditory feedback with my product really started to tap into spatially, we give people different exercises, you know, how far do you move the ball or things like that. But the timing, the rhythm, that's also another attribute of movement that we need to be addressing. Um, and you talked about that even with the juggling when you, you get the rhythm, you know. Um, explain a little bit more, maybe some exercises of how you use rhythm, timing, speed, how that changes, because I think that's also important for people to realize.
2: Yeah, so, so one of the, of the nice things working with an external object like a ball or a beanbag is it's another way to tap into rhythm and timing. So, for example, just throwing and catching a ball, when you throw the ball and it goes up and it goes down, one thing, the peak is exactly, because of how gravity works, the peak is exactly halfway between the throw and the catch, right, so throw, catch. When you're looking at the ball in the air and you're looking at where it peaks in the air, that's exactly halfway through that throw catch timing. So just throwing and catching the ball can create a rhythm and you can use the sound of the catch to create a rhythm with that. You can pass the ball back and forth. You've got that actual auditory rhythm there, but just a physical rhythm, too. There's a lot of ways that you can use that external object to uh help you connect into the rhythm and one of the things that I like is when I describe that the peak is exactly halfway between the throw and the catch well you can throw clap catch right so if you try to time your clap to right when the ball's at the top throw clap catch then you can create a rhythm that is mixing in different sounds right body percussion uh, okay. And you can even mix in, for example, instead of just clapping, tap your op- opposite leg. So tap, pass the ball across. I like that. And you've got a new rhythm that you can create with your full body. So so all of the movements that you have, of uh, any movement, for the most part, you can try to do on tempo. But one of the nice things when you have an external object is you can create different syncopations and different. Uh, changes of the rhythm, even just changing how high you throw the ball. So a low throw has a faster tempo than a high throw. So so mm-hmm. the distance maps to timing in the air when you've got the ball throwing and catching. And so, for example, if you're trying to let's say let's say you try to throw and catch the ball just on beat. To whatever music you're listening to, it's not just can you follow the beat. So if you're clapping, can you follow the beat? But with the throw kick, you have to control how high you're throwing the ball in order to stay on beat. So it's as a new dimension and challenge to keeping something at a consistent tempo. But then you also can use that to adjust. So if you're listening to the metronome or music and you're trying to stay on beat, well. If you throw too high, but you're still keeping that sense of rhythm, you might reach up to catch it sooner to make sure you stay on beat, right? So, it 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 there's a lot that that you can experience rhythm in a new way, and some of the exercises that I use with visual cues, it it's almost like a another way to tap into rhythm and music. So you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm gonna dance and do whatever yeah. dance that is, you think you can't dance and, and and you're not comfortable dancing. Well, you can tap based on visual cues, maybe you tap two times or one time and you can use those visual, visual cues to really connect to music in a way that you otherwise wouldn't and in a very portable way, right? You can have it on your phone and you're tapping Uh, to the beat and so uh, there's just a lot especially when you have an object or your visual cues uh, to to create that fun and variety specifically around rhythm and timing
1: awesome so one more question on timing then because a lot of my clients they have a hard time with timing and not anticipatory is off you know to, to time it so my daughter was just we were watching some videos and I think one of the videos you were doing was when you were throwing the, like people are throwing the balls for basketball, you know, can you keep going? And she's like, we can't do that. Her and her friends, because it seems like everybody gets one ball, you know, like, and then they, that one person's like, they're all throwing it at that one person. What are some tips that, of that? Cause it, you make it look so easy in some of those um, for somebody that's working on timing. Is there a way to grade that?
2: I, I think, and, and I could probably think more about it, but really in a lot of ways, it's just it's practice, and, and as you practice, be purposeful. So communicate, hey, OK, it looks like you threw that a little earlier than I did, and talk about it, right, especially if it's a group. Uh, uh, and, and so it's that communication uh, and practicing the, the active listening communication. Uh, and again, it's, it's trial and error. So some things don't have to be like, oh, do this quick fix. A lot of it is, is just practicing being used to the idea of trial and error and making slight adjustments and over time you get it so sometimes people say oh i can't do this well have you practiced it for an hour a day for a week or have you practiced it for five minutes a day for a month uh, oh i guess i haven't so so i'll give an example uh often where i say i can't sing and i've always known known i can't sing well I might be even teaching about growth mindset <laughs> and, and with the movement and the juggling and the throwing and catching and I'll, I'll still have thought i can't sing so it's i really use this concept for myself because i realized i have not taken voice lessons for a year i haven't really put in that effort to learn that and you don't have to learn everything it's okay to say I haven't learned to sing, and I've decided to focus my time on other things. But as long as you know that you can do that if you want to put in the time, uh, then you're not stopping yourself before you even get started. So it's just being aware of, of, of recognizing if you think, oh, this is hard. We can't do this. Or the timing's not right is recognize, okay, how much have you practiced it? And maybe you're just at the right point for that amount of practice.
1: No, oh, I love that. Cause that's so important. And, and just a lesson for all ages, again, you know, for kids that the communication to be like, or practice, is this important to you? You know, do you have that salency? So I think all of that, um, is just important topics that is a nice way to kind of intertwine it into your, your sessions or whatever you're working on. Um, so I guess, would you, do you have any, I always, at the end of each podcast, Um, ask people if there's any um, closing remarks that you would like or tips um, on any of the topics that we just talked about today.
2: Yeah, I would, I would say just go into it from a mindset of being open to having fun and being creative with it. Uh, And it's not about getting any of the movements or exercises perfect. It's about having fun with that learning process. So if you have fun with the learning process, you're going to be, Able to keep practicing enough to start really getting better and, and getting comfortable with it. So, so don't stress about, oh, I can't do this. Like give it a try. And even if you can't quite get it at first, you can adjust a little bit. You can, you can build up to it, break it down a little and, and just have fun uh, with it and, and give yourself permission to experiment and explore and have your students and clients get creative themselves. So it, it doesn't have to be you saying, do this specific drill. It can be, hey, here's a concept within this framework. Go have fun and get creative and see what you can do. Uh, maybe be more specific, functional and balanced or using both hands or whatever it is. Right. So you can give a little bit of guidance, but, but give that permission to have fun and be creative with movement.
1: Oh I absolutely love it. And on that topic I think I've learned so much already just interview this is the part that I love about interviewing different guests. Um I already have tons of ideas that I want to include next week in my sessions in my group sessions, individual sessions, even with students. Um, but Jacob and I will also be collaborating, um, soon on some more creative ways, um, just using both of our expertise, um, as we discussed today. So stay tuned, um, for some more fun stuff. Um, but thank you so much for the interview. And today I also will share all, um, all our resources and the videos so that you can, um, have that. Um, so thank you.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Like this episode, I hope you would consider subscribing to the Balance Matters podcast on our website and iTunes. Share it with your friends, colleagues, and show some love on social media. For a new podcasts like mine, those reviews are everything. To stay connected with us, follow Step and Connect on social media and visit our website, StepAndConnect.com, to learn more about our educational courses, resources, and products. I hope you learned something today and will join me on this journey to make sense of balance.